You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for listening. Uh, be sure to give us a follow or, or a subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Uh, today's episode is featuring uh, co-founder and CEO of CompStack, Michael Mandel. Uh, Michael is one of the uh, original prop tech entrepreneurs out there. His company's been thriving for the last uh, 10, 11 years. Uh, Michael came from similar background as me as a commercial real estate broker, identified a problem in that space and decided to start a company around it. Um, so Michael's going to talk a little bit about how CompStack got started, uh, the importance of least comparable data uh, for not only uh, office buildings, but for uh, residential, sales comps, industrial, retail. They've really exploded over the last 10 years uh, and how his company is helping uh, people in the real estate space uh, make better decisions and why data transparency is important. So we hope, you'll, we hope you enjoy. Uh, please give it a listen. Thanks. Michael, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on it. Yeah, uh, no worries. Um, we appreciate you uh, carving out some time. Um, how about you give us a little introduction of who Michael Mandel is for the audience? Bro broad question, uh, but a uh, little, little context on me. Uh, I'm co-founder and CEO of Comstack. Started Comstack uh, about 11 years ago and change, uh, originally from the Philadelphia area, and uh, started my career, well, worked for a year in commercial music production, which is maybe a whole other story, uh, but then worked for about five and a half years as a commercial real estate broker in New York City, and then started Comstack out of my experience as a broker. Nice. Um... Just, I'm just curious, real quick. What is a commercial uh, music producer? What, like, what, what, what got you into music? Did you have a musical background, and that was like your ideal career path? And then, what happened there? Not, not particularly. No, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I ran an entrepreneurship organization in college. I went to Babson and studied entrepreneurship, and I ran this this organization where we brought in uh, entrepreneurs to speak about uh, different things. And one of the entrepreneurs I met was the guy, this guy who founded um a uh this music production company and i thought it was super interesting and i kind of worked to kind of be his right hand man initially kind of out of college and um i actually my my title was audio identity analyst which means nothing to anyone but uh, i was responsible <laughs> for helping brands uh determine their their brand identity through music so we had a, a team of uh composers and musicians and we would try to extrapolate the the brand benefits uh, the, the kind of rational brand benefits of brands and translate them into sort of emotional brand benefits and take those emotions and then try to find music that conveyed those emotions that would then be carried into things like uh you know the background music in the elevator in the the wait the the, the hold music you know and when you're waiting on hold and um, you know, audio logos or that would go into commercials and things like that. 
So it was, it was very interesting, but uh, not the not the right industry for me. Uh, right. It was, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of one of those things where probably no one ever thinks about like how that stuff gets made, but you know, it, right? You know, it's a job that that I'm sure people are passionate about. But you found some passion in commercial real estate. What was that transition like? So you're a couple years out of college, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go be a broker in New York City. How, how did you make? How did you arrive at that? You know, I think more than anything, my passion was around entrepreneurship, and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I want uh, entrepreneur. I wanted to start a company. And I didn't want to work for anybody else. And I, I liked the tangibility of commercial real estate. I loved living in New York and walking around and seeing the buildings and how, you know, these just massive transactions and massive buildings and, and it was really intriguing to me. And what I liked about commercial real estate brokerage is, you know, it's not starting your own business, but you do work for yourself. You know, it's a commission-based role where you eat what you kill. And I had a lot of belief and conviction in my own abilities. And I felt like, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and take a job where I can, you know, drive my own success. And um, that was the impetus behind it. But I don't know that I really had great aspirations to be a commercial real estate broker. It was more the entrepreneurial aspect of it that was a, that was attractive to me. Yeah, it's about as close as you can come to entrepreneurship while working at a big company. What company did you start out with and work for? Yeah, I was with Grubbinellis, which uh, is now part of Newmark. Um, so I was I was started there uh, towards the end of 2006 and left when when Grubbinellis went bankrupt. Uh, so which was in 2000 and and ultimately got acquired by Newmark, and that was and then and that was the time that I started Comstack. So that was 2012. Cool. Okay, so obviously your career in commercial real estate brokerage informed the idea that would become Comstack. What problems did you see or experience um, as a broker that led you to, oh my God, this is a problem that needs to be fixed? Yeah, well, as a broker, I was finding, so we would have our Monday morning meetings in our office. And every brokerage firm has these meetings, or, you know, and, and basically we would all sit around a big boardroom table uh, talking about deals in the market, comps, right? And I was expected, particularly as a, a junior broker, you know, to be bringing comps to the table. So I'd be frantically calling other brokers that I knew at other firms at Cushman, JLL, CB, what have you, um, and asking them to give me comps of deals they recently heard about, and I give them comps in return. So that Monday morning, I could come to that meeting and I could talk about recent deals in the market. And we'd sit around for hours, literally hours every week, talking about deals in the market, which was useful in the context of understanding broadly um, what's happening. But I, you know, kind of relatively quickly specialized. I worked with a lot of um, tech companies and I found that like I was doing deals in Midtown South Manhattan with tech companies and that's what was compelling to me. And everybody sitting around talking about hedge fund deals and law firm deals in Midtown and financial district and things like this. And finding that we're all sharing this information, but most of what we're sharing was not particularly relevant to any one of us. And the idea for Comstack was, well, what if we made this exchange of data that's already happening more efficient so that, you know, you can share this random information that you know about, and, but actually find information on deals that is uniquely relevant to you um, in return so that I could, maybe I hear about a law firm deal, I share a law firm deal, but then I can get the comp for a relevant tech deal in a building that I'm trying to do a deal in 
that could be much more valuable. So the idea was simply to take this offline exchange, move it online and make it more efficient and more fair than, than what it was. Well, <clears throat> I sat in a, thousands of those meetings myself at JLL and same thing. You talk about who's in the market, what deals got done. Uh, half the time you're just zoning out because some guy's talking about his submarket or his specialty and you know that might not be too relevant to me. Um, but I always like, took copious and furious notes during those, those meetings. And I would come back to my desk and then I would have this, you know, two, three, three pages of notes to go through and then figure out how to use that information. So I'd go create my own spreadsheet of comps, or I would, you know, want to keep some close to the vest because that could be useful for me. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, competition, not only externally against other firms, but also sometimes internally against brokers in your own, your, your own shop. Like, what did you physically do with this information when you got it? Because I, I'll, you know, walking through how this works is you call a broker, you say, hey, I need a, any comps in Midtown South that you've had recently, I, I've got a couple I could share with you. And then you're literally writing them down, or maybe you exchange them over email. And then where does it go? Does it go into a CRM system? Does it go onto your notepad? Like, how are you managing that data, like physically at that time? You know, I, I think when I was a broker, I would I mostly was probably putting it into a spreadsheet because I kind of geeked out on that stuff. So I wanted to keep track of it as best I could. Um, so, you know, and, and some of it maybe I didn't even bother with because I didn't find it to be relevant. So it really would all depend. Um, but I definitely would, would kind of keep track of it at a minimum, kind of keep it in a folder so that I had it, you know, to refer back to or to share with other people uh, whenever I needed it. Yeah. I mean, for the audience members who may not really be familiar with like brokerage or lease deals like what what is the value of a lease comparable well for a broker and i mean for lots of people they're valuable in different ways but for a broker there's like a million use cases right so um the most obvious one is it's a, a lease comp right is a record of a commercial lease transaction that, ta- that has taken place it's basically like an abstract of the lease with the key deal terms so who's the tenant Who's the landlord? What's the address? What's the rent they're paying? How does that rent escalate over time? What concessions did the landlord give? Like free rent and tenant improvement allowance. What other notes, uh, you know, were there with the deal and, and nuances? Was it a built space or was it a raw space? Things like that, right? And so if you're negotiating a deal with that landlord in that building, knowing where they, what the terms of were of the recent deals that they did, it's massively valuable for your negotiation, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's useful in a lot of ways, right? Because if you have access to this data and you're a broker, you'll use it in aggregate to see whose leases are expiring so that you can target people who have upcoming lease expirations or that meet other criteria of yours. Maybe they are certain types of companies in certain industries, things like that. Then once you you know, get that information on and, and who, who might be a target for you, you, you reach out to them and you try to get a meeting with them. And then once you get a meeting with them, you need to win the business to win the business you need to prove that you know what's going on right so then you'll use the comp data to show them to show that prospect you know what are their competitors doing what kind of deals are their competitors doing what's going on in their building what leases have been sold in their building what's it going to cost them if they want to renew uh versus if you know what if other people have a right on space or just recently signed a deal who might want their space and they're going to have to move and what other things are available and what are they going to have to pay And then you use it to set expectations for like, what can they expect to pay in rent based off of recent deals so they can understand what they could get. And then you are ultimately, if you're representing them and you're doing the deal, you use those comps 
to put in an offer for space and then to negotiate the back and forth on what, what should, the rent should be. And so the, throughout the life cycle of this data, there's lots of different use cases for it. And then of course, you know, if you're a real estate owner, you're using this data so you can understand where your competitors are leasing and you can price your space accordingly. Um, and perhaps actually on the enterprise side of our business where we sell access to this data, which I can get into in more detail, um, our biggest users uh, tend to be acquisitions teams because uh, the way you determine the value of a commercial real estate asset is based off of the income that that asset produces. And so anyone who's, who is buying a, a commercial real estate asset is, you know, running a discounted cash flow model, but effectively it comes down to um, and a net operating income, the profitability makes divided by cap rate, which is the annual percentage return you're trying to get equals the price you should pay. Um, now, theoretically, if you know what the rents are in a, in a given building and you're using a market cap rate, right, everybody should pay the same amount of money for a building because it's all the same numbers for everybody. But at the end of the day, somebody's willing to pay more than everybody else. And the person who's willing to pay the, the most is the person who's underrated, underwritten the most optimistic projections around what kind of rent they can achieve and what kind of op expenses they can reduce and things like that. And that's where the comps come into play. You need to know where recent things are renting for um, in order to underwrite the space that's vacant or that will be vacant. And so there's no more important thing to someone trying to acquire a building than the lease comp data to understand what kind of assumptions they should plug into their model. And then also the other thing we do, we do well, several things we do, but one of the other things we do is sales comp data. And the sales comps help you understand how other properties are sold on a per square foot basis and also the cap rates, the annual returns they're getting, which also is embedded in that calculation. So there's a lot of different use cases though. We sell into government entities and we sell into consulting firms and to you know, private equity firms, insurance companies, banks who lend on commercial real estate assets, hedge funds, insurance companies, it just runs the gamut. Yep, um, but it all comes down to that atomic unit of the lease which is the agreement between the landlord and the tenant on who's paying what, who's paying for what and how much. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, um, let's just rewind the conversation a little bit. So like, how did you start sure. CompStack? Walk us through the um, kind of the, gen we, we, we have the, we, we have the why, then like, tell us a little bit about the how. You know, it was just a lot of kind of hustle at the beginning, you know, and well, it's always a lot of hustle, I, I suppose. But, <laughs> you know, it was, it was initially like, so I, well, first of all, like I was going to these like tech startup events, you know, every day uh, at night, you know, trying to find a co-founder to get it off the ground because I'm not like a, I'm not an engineer. So I was going to all these events and eventually met my co-founder, Vadim, who's, who's our CTO. And um, he was, you know, found the idea compelling and was, and we decided that we were going to, you know, explore it a bit and, and work on it. And um it worked out great. Luckily, he's awesome. And we, we work, you know, we sit right next to each other right now um, and um, built kind of a, a prototype of, of what we thought this could be. And then it was, you know, me pounding the phones like I did as a broker. I, I used to be calling uh, tenants or prospective tenants that I wanted to work with. Or, um, and now I was, uh, you know, calling other brokers. So I was calling all the brokers that I knew and saying, Hey, I'm starting this thing. Uh, can you give me, could you send me some comps to put in it? <laughs> and can you log in, set up an account, check it out, see what's in there and see if there's value in it for you. 
um, and pitching them on why this would work. And initially they're like, well, why should I give you this data? And I was like, well, here's the thing. You can only take out as much data as you put in. There's this credit system where you earn credits for sharing data and then you can use them to get data out and having to make the pitch to everyone, explain to them why this was a good idea for them, get them to give data, get them to use it, and then do that basically over and over and over again, right? I go through that list and then a, a week later, I call the same list and be like, hey, you said you were going to send me data and you didn't. Hey, you didn't log in, but you said you were going to, you know, and just do that over and over again, initially starting to just get people to adopt it in New York City, which is, you know, because that's where my, my network was. And then eventually kind of scale it beyond that. Yeah. What were some of the uh, uh, kind of uh, objections that you got during that process? Because, you know, I mean, this was 11 years ago, maybe, maybe the commercial real estate world has changed a little bit with this boom of prop tech companies and, and kind of a little bit more transparency into data. But I could imagine brokers being like, what's in it for me? And obviously you just explained the, the exchange of it. Um, but how hard was it for you to seed your initial kind of uh, database of comps? Yeah, it was, it was challenging. And, and there was a, a heavy amount of skepticism, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the everyone just assumed, wait, I'm just going to give you this data and you're just going to publish it on the internet. It's like, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Like you have to be a member to get the data. You have to give data to get data out. I had to really carefully and thoughtfully explain why this is a fair exchange and the gamified nature of it, where you can, where you can only get data out if you put data in and only if it's data that other people haven't put in and why it's valuable and why the data could be good quality. That was always an objection is like, how do we trust this data is going to be any good and how we validate the data and clean it up. And there was, so it, it was a lot of objection handling more than anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and then of course, trying to raise money was, was a bear in and of itself. I mean, at the time that we were starting the company, there was no such thing as prop tech. That term had not been invented yet. Um, you know, we referred to ourselves as commercial real estate tech or technology that didn't really exist either. Um, there were, there was virtually no, there were virtually no startups in the, in the real estate technology, you know, ecosystem. Most of what we'd seen in, in the, the world was more on the residential side than in commercial. Um, at the time we started like, you know, 42 floors was around, they were sort of like the, they were the biggest name in the, in the, in that sector, you know, having raised some meaningful money, VTS, um, was, um, was around and, and early stage. Um, there was like floored that came around, but it was like, there was, there was not a lot out there. And I, I mean, we, we had to really prove to people that commercial real estate was a big enough industry to invest in because the yeah. mindset was that, you know, maybe it didn't even, maybe the industry wasn't even viable for VC investment. That was the way that investors thought about it. Everybody wanted us to be, the hot thing at the time was um, mo solo or mobile social local. So mm. everybody was like, "How can you make this more like Twitter or yeah. more like Foursquare?" Foursquare. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I remember that's what was hot at the time. So it was an uphill battle, to say the least. Yeah, and it's crazy how many VC firms have proliferated over the last decade, just focusing solely on like real estate and commercial real estate tech because it's it, it, yeah, it's mine blowing to me how long it took for the investment community to understand how large of a asset class commercial real estate was and how in the stone ages, everything was in terms of data management, workflow, um, you name it. Um, yeah. 
And so, okay, so I have just one question on on kind of the, the data again was, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a broker, I always felt like, what if these tenants find out I'm sharing all their lease information? You know what I mean? Like, was the, it, it, it's, it's interesting because there's no real like regulations around this data. It's private data, but it's also made public as soon as a broker shares it with another broker. And then it just spreads like wildfire throughout the market. Um, obviously, if you're a publicly traded company, maybe if the lease is big enough, you could look it up in, you know, the sec.gov and find lease terms and stuff like that. Um, but like how, how much um, involvement on the actual like occupier side did you, did you have to get in any of this, if, if at all? You know, I, I, not really anything, to be honest, on the occupier side. I think there was more sensitivity or concern from the landlord side that, that the landlords may not be happy about them sharing versus the occupiers. I mean, I think, you know, most um, brokers, you know, um, don't, aren't necessarily working with a company where they're doing a, managing a, you know, a portfolio of deals and, and, and asset and, and deals all over the country. It's kind of a one and done until they do another deal with them, you know, five, 10, 15 years from then. And most of the occupiers don't even think to, to ask about what happens with the terms of their deal, nor do I think they necessarily care that much. You know, I mean, I don't know that it, that it matters to them. It doesn't impact it, particularly if you're like an office occupier, which is how we started, you know, for office occupiers, this is one expense of many expenses you you have. The retailers tend to be more sensitive about it because the for retailers, the retail space is your business, whereas for office occupiers, office is an expense of your business. You know, um, and you have to bear in mind that, like as a broker, you know, you have a fiduciary duty to do as as best of a job as you can for your client. And part of that involves sharing data to get valuable data so you can represent them as best as you can. And so I think, you know, to the extent that there might be some concern, the understanding is, well, yeah, maybe I'm going to share this information, but that's because I need to get valuable information to help you. Right. right. Um, and then the yeah. interesting thing that we found, though, is that on the landlord side, where maybe there was more concern, all the landlords knew this information was shared. The landlords were calling up the brokers all the time, asking them to give them comps. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Is like I would I would represent landlords, and in our weekly leasing calls, a tab on the activity report spreadsheet was recent deals done. So, if you're asking for this information, you better be comfortable with the fact that I'm going to share your information to get it. <laughs> like it's exactly kind of how it works. <laughs> Exactly. Everybody knew it was happening. They didn't like explicitly endorse it, but they knew it was happening. And, you know, we didn't ask the industry to do something they weren't already doing. We yeah. just took what they were doing and made it more efficient and put it in one place. Yeah. Switching gears just a little bit. Okay. So you've built this exchange, this credit system, uh, you have this massively growing database of comp data. What, what have you done with that information? What types of products or services have you built on top of it in the last, you know, recent history of the company and, and kind of how has the evolution of, of the platform changed? Well, there's a lot we've done with it, but at, at its core, at our core, we're a data company, right? We're not, we, you know, there's a lot of companies that present themselves as an analytics company or insights company or things like that. And more often than not, that's because those companies don't have any proprietary data in and of itself. So they're using other people's data and they're trying to derive insights from it, which of course we do, but we're most proud of the fact that we have data that nobody else has. 
And so first and foremost, we make that data available to our users and our customers um, in its granular form, which is pretty unique, you know, where you can do whatever you want with it. You can create your own insights and analytics from it and, and decide how to find meaning in that data or not. Um, you know, initially what we did is we expanded from office in New York to covering office deals in San Francisco and then the greater Bay Area. And then we went to L.A. and then D.C. and then Chicago and Atlanta. Um, and we until eventually we covered the whole country. We cover everything now in the, in the whole U.S. And and we expanded beyond office. We went into industrial and into retail. Um, and then we you know focused on gathering a lot of property level data to supplement the lease comp data. Uh, then we expanded into sales comp data. So we capture sales prices and NOIs and cap rates and true buyer and seller and things like that. Um, and we built an analytics platform that sits on top of all this data within our platform as well, where you can you know, visualize data on a map. You can create charts to compare one data set to another data set, any, any kind of data you'd want, um, and a lot of different insights from it. Um, and then we've also created API products that leverage derivatives of our data. We've integrated those with some with other with partner companies and with um, our customers, and we've also we now sell data feeds of some of our data sets as well to our customers. Um, but at the end of the day, our core product is our data. We're very proud of the platform, and we're proud of the usability of it, and all the different tools that you can do with it. But the data is the product. Yeah. How do you see um, the current, you know? state of commercial real estate potentially impacting your business for the positive or the negative. Obviously the, the office sector is getting hammered. Uh, retail seems to be holding its own, you know, industrial seems to be holding its own, but you know, there's obviously just, just a lot of uncertainty in commercial real estate right now. Um, specifically in the office sector, what, like, do you sense any sort of major shifts uh, coming up in terms of how data is used? In my opinion, maybe it becomes even more important, but, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, data is at least equally important in a down market as an up market, if not more important. Um, certainly, you know, the the lease transactions are sort of a, a, a leading indicator of overall the performance of these assets. Um, and so, and, and the, the sales transactions are fewer and far between these days, but they're very important to see what's happening. Um, so, Everybody needs data, whether it's a good market or a bad market. That's not to say, I mean, I think a lot of people be like, oh, your business should do great in a downturn. It's like, well, theoretically, the demand should be higher in a downturn. But that doesn't change the fact that like a lot of our clients, you know, they're, they're hurting, you know, they're, they're seeing their revenues go down and times are tougher for them. And so, you know, we have to accommodate them and work with them to make sure that they have what they need and work through them and work with them in the good times and the bad times um, to help them succeed. I think that um, the worst, most challenging environment is the transition period when you go from a good market to a bad market, but no one knows what's happening. And so they just choose to do nothing. That's kind of, I think that's difficult for everyone. As things you know, st start to, to fall out, um, that creates opportunity. You've got new distressed buyers that come in. Um, you've got workouts that banks have to do and they have to figure out what to do with them and, you know, new opportunities that come with that. And so I think we're starting to see that transition now where, where those new opportunities are coming 
you know, to the forefront. And so we're trying to take advantage of that and in selling into those people who are taking advantage of those opportunities. We've seen yeah. an increase in our sales, for instance, to regional banks, because regional banks right now are very concerned about their commercial real estate portfolios and the value of those assets and how that impacts, um, you know, their overall risk profile on, on their balance sheets. Um, you know, we, what we tend to do and, you know, because we're somewhat agnostic across markets and data, we are able to focus our efforts uh, based off of what's going better and what's not, right? So as office started to take a hit um, during COVID and industrial was very strong, um, we were able to focus more of our efforts in industrial data collection and in selling into industrial clients who were very, very focused on, on that kind of data. And we've continued to do that, but we've, you know, created a good diversity of, of a client base that's helped us. And, um, you know, we're trying to help our clients take advantage of the data as best they can so they can understand their current exposure and what opportunities are out there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what 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 does the future hold for Comstack? But it sounds like you already answered that question and the fact that markets change, markets move, and you have to be nimble and adapt to, you know, who the you know, who the customers are that have the most pain at that moment and, and add value. Uh, but, it, right. but is there anything on the horizon for the company that um, you see being, uh, you know, a divergence from the core business strategy as it is today? Not anything I would call a divergence. No, I mean, we, we've continued to expand uh, the data sets that we collect and, and, you know, direct both directly and through partnerships. So multifamily has been a great asset class in the past few years. We partnered with RealPage, um, which has tremendous uh, multifamily data and to bring their data into Comstack so that you could in one place, for instance, look at a sales transaction for a multifamily building from Comstack with the cap rate information and the NOI, right? Um, the retail leases at the base of the building and then the floor plan by floor plan basis uh, rental information from RealPage, all in one place, right? So that's one area we've expanded. Um, we have a great partnership with TREP, um, and um, they we've enabled it so that some Comstack data is on TREP and available to, Com to, to TREP users that are also Comstack users. Um, we're now bringing in uh, TREP CMBS data uh, into Comstack, which is going to be massively valuable as the CMBS market is, you know, of a lot of concern to people right now. So bringing in the loan information and CMBS data is making our property information more robust. Um, we're, we're, we've increased our efforts in our collection and uh, the robustness of our sales comp data as well, which is a strong area of interest for us. So we're not changing uh, substantially as a company. We're just trying to do more within commercial real estate data. We want to be the leader in commercial real estate data. Yeah, there's a, there's still a lot of a lot of corners of the industry that still need to be kind of revealed to people through data. So it seems like there's a lot of opportunity left. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Michael, this has been great. Let's uh, let's do a couple of rapid fire questions here. We're going to do five questions. We'll we'll give you a minute to answer each, and um, you know you can you can choose choose to pass or say I don't know if that's the case. But um, you mentioned uh, you're originally from Philly. Uh, so question number one is, are you are you still uh, loyal to like the Philly sports teams or have you kind of, you know, turn over to the dark side and become a, a New York sports fan? I am 100 percent loyal to Philly sports teams and I 
can't really uh, understand people who who change their loyalty over time. It doesn't really resonate with me. So no, I'm a hundred percent loyal. Uh, big big Philly sports fan fan, particularly uh, big Eagles fan. Uh, made it made it to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, did not get get a win, but uh, was. Well, you you locked your quarterback down now, which is good. Yes, so you know, um, very pumped about the Eagles for sure. Okay, well, staying on that Philly versus New York theme, I guess like cheesesteak versus a New York slice. Like, if you had to choose, like, what what would you go with? I I, I keep kosher, so I don't mix milk with meat. Ah. So there I've never go. had a cheesesteak, so I'm going to have to go with uh, New York pizza. Oh, there you go. Easy, easy choice. Well, okay. Question three, which is uh, down the pizza line. What, what New York is obviously the epicenter of pizza, at least in the United States. What's the, what's the best slice? It's a good question. I, uh, I actually, I live in Hoboken. Um, and so... Uh, lately, the, our pizza place in Hoboken, there's a lot of pizza places in Hoboken and some very good pizza. Um, lately, I've been doing uh, Hot House pizza, pizza, which is really good. Little little place uh, down, you know, in, um, downtown in in, uh, in Hoboken. Nice. Um, yeah, it's almost kind of too hard to figure out where the best pizza is in New York. There's just too many of them. But uh, There's a lot of options. And, Although, and, uh, I, actually, in New York, though, I'd go with Defaras. Uh, I've been there. Defara's yeah. is incredible. Um, the what's the old man Defara died recently, <laughs> but if if you went there a few years ago, you would have seen him at the front counter with a pair of scissors ch- cutting the basil and dropping it directly onto the pizza. I mean, it 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 was incredible pizza. I assume it still is. I haven't had it in in a, in a long time, but Defara's is unreal. I actually had it recently. Back I was right 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 before the holidays. Andrew and I, Andrew Flint and I, um, took a trek out there. Um, it was, it was good, man. That dough, it, it was like, he was like the old man was the only one that was allowed to touch the dough, at least when he was alive. Right. Like no yeah. one else could have touched it. He made every pizza. Yeah. And it was like his daughter sticking it in the oven and serving it. And it was like, it was like Avenue J in Midwood. It's a, it's a, it's a trek, but it is good pizza. And they actually just opened like another one, uh, I think at the South street seaport. So I don't know how that's going to go. It seems like a lot of times he's, you know, institutions then get like private equity money and start expanding. And when it comes to restaurants, that can be, that can be questionable, but we'll see. Yeah. What happened here in Boston with Regina's Regina's was like the, the North yeah. end pizza spot forever. And now you, you can get a Regina's at the train station, I guess, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's still good. I mean, um, all right. Uh, question number four. So if you could have a share a pie with anybody past or present, who would it be? You know, it would probably be, uh, you know, I, I only really got to know two of my grandparents. So uh, maybe the other two I never met, really. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. You know, you know, make that connection, try to learn a little bit about, you know, what your parents were like on that side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, our last question, which is our standard question, um, I think we're on episode 82. We're, we're, we've got wow. a bunch of episodes. We're almost at 100 now, but, but we're always looking for new guests. Um, so if there's a couple of people that you think that uh, we should we should have on the show, who would they be? Well, I'll have to I'll have to cross reference the 82 that you've had, um, yeah, and I make can, sure. 
and and I can, but I can, I can give you some ideas for sure. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but I can, but I can get you something for sure. Cool. We'll do that offline. Michael, it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, if cool. our audience members wanted to find out more about you or Comstack, how would they do that? Uh, I'm my email is just Michael at Comstack.com. So you can shoot me an email there um, or uh, hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter or something like that. Uh, but email probably makes the most sense, I think. Cool. All right, Michael. Thanks. This has been great. Awesome. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me.